Hi guys, welcome or welcome back to Vaisan Gra. We're back with another episode. It's already number five. Five, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's already number five, which is crazy to feels think like about. episode hundred. <laughs> to Does be it? honest, yeah. But we're very excited for today's episode. We have our guest number two on the podcast. We're so appreciative of her participation in this podcast because this is what the podcast is all about. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, mental illness, spirituality, mental illness in the Albanian culture, and how Albanian people can start to approach mental illness in a less taboo way, um, which is really important. Um, as somebody who deals with depression myself, you know, I was actually very fortunate to have a mother who had dealt with depression and anxiety her whole life. Mm -hmm. So she understood me from a very, very young age. So my mother never really dismissed mental health. Uh, but at the same time, my mother herself didn't know how to combat her own mental illness. So she, although she was very compassionate to me mm -hmm. and didn't dismiss my mental illness at all, she still didn't really know how to help me. So when I got older, I was kind of... Uh, more conscious about the fact that I had been dealing with depression for a majority of my life. And unfortunately, it uh, in the beginning of Corona, which was in 2020, mm -hmm. my uh, best friend committed suicide. And at that time, I was facing depression myself. Um, and it was really, really bad. And after he took his own life, it kind of shocked me. It was like a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call, yeah. And when he took his own life, I remember being so mad because I was like, why didn't he just talk to somebody? Like he could have just mm -hmm. talked to somebody. We could have helped him. And then I started to reflect on myself and started thinking, well, why am I not helping myself? Right. Yeah. And I was also scared because I didn't want to get to that point, you know, uh, that inevitably happens when people don't deal with their depression and don't try to heal themselves so that was an unfortunate catalyst but it was a catalyst because then I started getting into like spirituality I started seeing a therapist and uh then later on a couple months down the line um I was one of those people who was very like oh I, I don't believe in like um antidepressants or like anti-anxiety mm -hmm. pills but uh then I just I just booked an appointment with my doctor one day and he was like, he explained it to me. He was like, it's, it's not going to change your personality. It's not going to change who you are. It literally just holds the serotonin and serotonin is a hormone that uh, generates happiness, like the feeling of happiness. And it, what an antidepressant does, by the way, I'm not an expert. This is just, I'm relaying what my doctor told me. Right. Uh, it, the antidepressants help hold that serotonin for a longer period of time so that you can feel happiness. Um, so I, I incorporated spirituality, fitness, um, therapy, journaling, all of these healthy habits. And like, I mean, I take my antidepressants every morning with my iced coffee, but mm -hmm. I can, I can proudly say that, uh, I am a pretty content person mentally. And so we want to use this podcast episode to maybe help those who are dealing with depression or don't know that they're dealing with depression. And, and also help parents understand, especially immigrant parents and Albanians in general. Uh, we tend to have this idea where we we dismiss the whole idea of mental health in general. Like I saw I saw a TikTok the other day. 
that it was like telling my Albanian parents I'm depressed and it was like the dad driving the car and the kid was like Bob like I think I'm depressed and then the dad goes what do you mean depressed I used to I used to walk eight miles in the snow every day I used to starve I used to go to bed starving how are you depressed whatever so it's that I mean I'm making a joke out of it and you know, there's always a truth to a joke, but that's the same kind of reaction that a lot of Albanian people or Albanian parents have to their kids with mental illness. I think um, with Albanians, unless they see you physically hurt, then there shouldn't be something wrong. And we need to understand that there are other ways that you you can feel sick that are not visible to the naked eye. So I think that's what this conversation today is going to bring to light. And... I think we should just get right into it. Let's get right into it with our second official guest on Vaisangra. Yeah. Yeah, baby. Let's get it. Okay. Morella is a registered nurse who specializes in neurological care. Before moving to the United States in 2010, she worked as a nurse in Albania. She has lived in the United States for 12 years. And since she has moved here, she has obtained her master's in nursing education, where she currently teaches at a nursing program at a community college as well. She is a writer and a translator, a mindfulness instructor, and also co-hosts a podcast called Mindful Agility that is aimed to help people live better lives by combining mindfulness and agility. During the pandemic, she started offering free online guided meditations in Albanian with her friend in an effort to help people during this time of isolation and stress. She is passionate about teaching and her life purpose surrounds helping and nurturing others. In this episode today, Morella is going to talk about the logistics of mental health, why mental health is taboo in Albanian culture, how our values as Albanians can be used to support those who are dealing with mental health, as well as sharing insight on her personal journey with spirituality. And as a special treat, she will end this episode with a guided meditation. So welcome Morella to Vaisa and Gra. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are so pleased to have you on today. Uh, me too. I am. Um, I was really excited when you two started this project as an Albanian, and because I think there is a great need in the Albanian community uh, about there is a great need for this type of content. There is a great need for us to talk about com- to have this tough conversations about things that are difficult to talk when when it comes to being Albanian, but and in general as well, not only as Albanians as immigrants, you know, as uh, as people. So addressing these topics from an Albanian perspective is very helpful to so many people. So thank you for what you do. Yeah, of course. That was our, our great mission um, and the whole reasoning behind starting this. So we're, we're very happy that our viewers and listeners are, are understanding our perspective on where we came from when we decided to do this and for today we're talking a lot about mental health about why it is a taboo in in our community and how we can deal with it so morella as a registered nurse who works in neurocritical care what facts can you provide to our audience about depression and mental illness Uh, first i want to uh say that i am a neurocritical care nurse and a nursing instructor but I am not specialized in mental health. The information I provide is based on research, mm-hmm. but is a, is not spe- specialized information that should come from mental health providers, but it is information that is based on research. Uh, so depression 
uh, is and other mental illnesses are a continuum, are a spectrum, and they present in present in many different ways, depending on what type they are and what other diseases are associated with them, which is uh, unfortunately the case in many times. Some interesting facts, demographic risk factors, are that it, it's more depression, especially, is more common in younger adults than in older adults. It decreases in middle age, but then it starts to pick up again at our uh, in older age because it's associated with chronic illnesses and other ailments that affect the older population. So depression is associated with illness, less income, divorced, separated, or widowed people. And unfortunately, it affects women two times more than men oh, wow. across most ages. So women are more affected from it. Wow, I did it not isn't, know that. Yeah, unfortunately. When it comes to children, uh, it's interesting because uh, boys are more affected until puberty. And then once puberty hits, we, uh, girls start picking up and they are more affected than boys. And that kind of continues throughout throughout the lifespan. And I think that's important to to bring up when we talk about Albanian culture and when we talk about how we how girls and boys are treated differently mm -hmm. in our culture, right? So we have this general fact that girls and women in general in the world are more affected by depression. And when you add to that the fact that Albanian culture treats girls so differently that kind of compounds the problem more, right? It makes it even harder for them to grow up in an Albanian culture and have those added factors that can make it more difficult for them to deal with mental health issues. Yeah, 100%. Like some of the, the different conversations we've had so far on the podcast have been about the different ways that Albanian women are suppressed like throughout their whole life. So I could totally see how all those different rules and quotes um, can add on to the effect of depression and mental mental illness in general. It is important to understand that depression and, and mental illnesses in general are diseases. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to depression, there are several factors that can contribute. Uh, biochemistry, our uh, certain chemicals in the brain, and actual physical uh, anatomical changes happen in the brain during depression. There are genetic factors that runs in family that is well proven by now. There are personality factors. Some of us are more prone to feel less, to feel um, low self-esteem, to be more pessimistic, more overwhelmed by stress, and that affects our uh, likelihood of getting depression. And then there are environmental factors, exposure to violence, to neglect, to abuse, to poverty, to war, to, you know, immigration, all of those things, all of those environmental factors that create that can create stress in our lives can be associated with depression. So it is a very complex disease and all mental health illness in general, they are very complex and there are several factors that contribute to them. I'm very pleased that you brought up the biochemical factor because that just legitimizes the fact that 
mental illness is a thing and it's and it is due it is affected to actual it's there's the science behind um the symptoms of depression or developing depression i'm also um happy that you brought up the fact that it is hereditary because a lot of people don't know this but ptsd and trauma can literally change your genetic code and can be passed down onto your children so let's say i'm going to use this because it's relevant to us and our people let's say during the kosovo war um your family was killed right in front of you and you have that trauma and you pass it on to your children and maybe they don't know why they have these feelings of PTSD or depression or anxiety, not knowing that their mother or their grandmother suffered from depression from what they went through and what they witnessed, especially during the hard times that um, people during you know, the Kosovo war and all the conflict had to witness and go through that they didn't heal properly from and is now being passed down to their children. Yes, it is true. Generational trauma is uh, an important thing to take into consideration. And we, I, I'd like to touch upon a little bit about the myths about mental illness. Uh, the most common, myth, common myths that are, uh, that are across the board, they are for every population, not specifically Albanian. These are myths that everybody uh, might have, no matter where they are from or how they were raised. Uh, the first one is people who suffer from mental illness are dangerous. Mm -hmm. And whereas the truth is that people who suffer from mental illness are actually more likely to be victims of violence rather than perpetrators of violence. Another myth is that they're either lazy or irresponsible, which is to say that if we see someone who is depressed or having a hard time and they can't get up, they can't go to work, they can't make them themselves have a shower, we think that they, they're just lazy or they're responsible, and this is not true. There is, again, like we said, there are several factors that uh, can contribute to, to depression to mental illness, and it is not true that these people are lazy or irresponsible. These people are sick, they have a disease, and saying that a person who stays in bed with depression is lazy versus a person who stays in bed because they have pneumonia, it is the same thing. They both have a disease that's making them not able to get up to their everyday tasks that other people do. Uh, another one is that they're weak and they can stop whenever they want. Like they can snap out of it, but they don't want to. This is another myth because if that is not true. Mental health illnesses, they can be treated, but it takes time. It takes a complex of therapies combined and it takes, and it is not a willful you cannot will yourself out of a mental illness. So these are some myths that people have in general, but especially people in our culture, in Albanian culture, have them more than, uh, than the general public. And I think that comes because we are a culture that we stress so much. Um, stoicism that is a little bit damaging. A we praise people who are strong, especially women. We praise people who are tough, who don't share 
their vulnerabilities, who are not vulnerable, and people who go through life with uh, sacrifices. And have you noticed how people take pride when they say, oh, I've suffered so much. Mm-hmm. And here I oh, am. Yeah. I'm tough. Oh, I've, yeah. I've been one of those people my whole life and I'm trying to change that. Oh, really? I don't want I don't want to be prideful of of the hardships that I've I've gone through. Like, I don't want to look at that as an accomplishment anymore. And I used to. I used to, like, in my college essay, I wrote about that, how I've been through so much moving to the United States or being a child of an immigrant. And I don't want a hard life anymore. I want to be the softest version of myself I can possibly be. She said, I want to be gentle. (laughs) I do. I really do. I, um, I, I love that. I love that because it, you know, it's so hard to... To live in an environment when where you cannot show that you're suffering, where you mm-hmm. cannot share that this is hard, this sucks. We should be able to say that. Exactly. Yeah. That's why it's so girls hard. And boys. A hundred percent. That's why it's so hard being a part of an Albanian community because all of these emotions and feelings that you have get dismissed so quickly. Yeah, because they're like, I've been through so much. You've never you haven't been through what I've been through and stuff like that. Right, and it's uh, especially for uh, second-generation Albanian-Americans, it becomes, how dare you? Mm-hmm. I sacri- We sacrificed everything for you. We left our lives in Albania or Kosovo, and we came to the States or to another country, and we brought you here to give you your best opportunities. How dare you say that you're having a hard time? Do you know what we went through? So yeah. that is an attitude that is not helpful. It's not skillful because it's creating an environment where young people cannot, children and young people cannot share, cannot feel safe to be vulnerable, to share their struggles, to share what they're going through. And if they are struggling with depression, anxiety, or any other mental illness, they'll feel alone and isolated and not understood by their own families and their own community, which is very sad. With that being said, why do you think Albanians dismiss mental illness? How can that be damaging to the younger generation of, of Albanians, especially those who grew up in America, raised by immigrant parents who were not introduced to the legitimacy of mental illness? I think uh, part of it is the myths that we talked about, which are also very present in Albanian culture. There is this this widespread conviction that mental illness is something to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. It is not the same as having another disease. It is the disease of a mind that people think that you is something wrong with you. And another thing that I think is important to think about when we think about Albanian culture is that something that you guys talked in a, in another episode, the opinion, how important it is for Albanians what other people think. The importance of what is the, the neighbors, the, ext- the extended family, the community, what are they going to think? So this also plays an important role in people not being open about mental illness and not being supportive because other people are going to judge us if we have a mental illness or if one of our family members have, have has a mental illness. 
and we don't have a good language around it. Say uh, we have the language we use for mental illnesses is derogatory words that we use uh, that normally should not be. Mm-hmm. They are. And we say, Ayesha Oh, what does or, that mean? I am. I am Mara. Yeah, like, are you crazy? Oh, wow. Yeah. Dita doesn't speak very well in Albanian, so we have to translate <laughs> for her. <laughs> That's so interesting. But yeah, if if you do, if you are referred to as somebody who has a mental is- illness, typically it's like, oh, I should which means like he's crazy. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. There is no description to divide up the different illnesses or anything else. It's like just that. a category of being crazy. Exactly. Yes. And that is very damaging and it can start very young because if you are someone who's a little bit different, you can be uh, neuroatypical, for example. Mm -hmm. And in an Albanian environment, a neuroatypical would be really shunned, would be really, would be labeled as crazy uh, and it would be really hard for them to feel included. Right. And another thing our community tends to do is what you just mentioned instead of being included they get completely excluded they don't bring the like those people typically around family or i remember like in in my neighborhood when i was born um we were super close like we had a big group of kids who were all around the same age so we would all go outside at the same time spend the whole afternoon playing and everything but um there was somebody who who was like that, who was different than the rest of us, and their parents would would specifically not bring them out to play with the rest of the children. So they're sort of like kept away from society because of these shameful um, ideas that we have towards having a mental illness or not being the same as everyone else. Yes, there is lots of stigma surrounding mental illness. And another thing that's uh, important is that parents who have children that have any mental illness, be depression, anxiety, or being a neuroatypical um, ADHD, um, they think that they must have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. They think that it's their fault that their children turned out that way and that comes again from the myth that mental illness is not a disease right because these parents think that oh we did everything right if other people know that our child is suffering from a mental illness they're gonna think that we're bad parents yeah and even in the household they could tell their children well you have everything um I had way less than you. You have no right to be feeling this way. Why do you feel this way? And they make you feel crazy when you're like, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know. Yes, that's unfortunately, unfortunately true because parents feel they, they are scared. They think that they did something wrong. This comes from a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. This comes from a lack of uh, of understanding what mental illness actually is and from from not knowing how to support their children. Yeah, they're also associated with trauma. So if they don't see you physically going through trauma, 
any internal struggles that you might have that they don't necessarily you don't necessarily share with them they don't see those struggles so they think that because you don't have any major issues like them going through wars or having to walk mountains to go to school um, i walked eight miles in the <laughs> snow to go to school and you're complaining right yeah. so they they're, associate they're it with very <laughs> open traumas uh, that if if they don't view those things, then they think you have no reason to feel that way, um, which is another myth, as you mentioned previously, where they don't necessarily come from viewable things, like things that we can v- v- like virtually see you going through. Yes, it, it is like that very distinction. If you have a physical illness, there is something physical Mm-hmm. Because they don't, because most people don't consider mental illness as a physical problem. That's where the, all the misconceptions come. Because Albanian parents would be like, oh, "Did you break a leg? Right? Are you yeah. bleeding? You're not." And like you said, have you? You have not had any outward traumas, any visible traumas, exactly. because you were born in the United States, for example, or even if you were born in Albania, you had. Your parents sacrificed everything to give you uh, a good life. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand. They're puzzled. Why did this happen? Again, because they think that if you give your your kids a good environment, if you provide them food, if you provide them good schools and clothes and a shelter, then they should not experience mental illness. And that is such a great misconception about what mental illness is. So with the many with the many negative aspects of the ideas of mental health that our community has, I think our culture has some great ways that we can use in order to be able to look at these these um, illnesses in a different light and also provide support to those who are going through them. So what do you think are some some ways that our culture can help with mental health in a positive way? There are many uh, things that are uh, in our culture that can help with mental illness, which are uh, the first one that comes to mind is the tight knit families that we have. We have a culture of being very close to each other, very close as families and very supportive in times of difficulties. And that can be very important when it comes to mental illness. We have a culture of the big gatherings, right? Right. We will all come together around the table and have good food and and sing and dance and laugh and tell stories. That culture of community is really important and can be really helpful in dealing with mental illness because we can feel connected. We can feel close to each other in ways that other societies, other cultures who are more individualistic cannot. I've dealt with extreme loneliness and I remember when feeling that way, all that I wanted was a community of people who understood me. Mm-hmm. And I just, because when you're depressed, you just feel so isolated, like nobody understands you. So that's a very, very good point. If you are close to your family, like that can be a great support system and a great way to avoid feeling so lonely Yes, and I think it's very, it's it's so doable. So there are a few things that I would suggest to people who might be listening, who are either parents or are going to become parents, mm-hmm. is to, first, we need to change the language, the language we use to refer to mental illness. 
We need to create an environment where children feel safe to share. Children feel supported and it is okay to share our feelings. And that often needs to be to happen by example. If a parent is not sharing what they're feeling, if a parent has always is always keeping a strong front in front of the family, then the child has no example, has no nothing to mirror, mm-hmm. has no ways of knowing that it's okay to cry. It's okay to say that I am struggling right now. This is what I'm feeling. As well as the way we talk about other people. Children pick up so much on conversations on our judgment of our people. How do we as parents talk about someone with a mental health illness outside of home? Do we talk about them with compassion and understanding or do we talk about them in a derogatory way? And so creating this environment where it is okay to talk about mental health, it is okay to share how you feel, it is safe to, to share that you're struggling is very important. And then we can make use about this openness. We can make use about the tightness we have as Albanian families and communities and use it to help each other and support each other in with our mental health. Another thing I think it's also important is, um, is to understand, and I want to, I want to stress this again, because I know that is, it is the case with many, many Albanian families is that if you, if a family member is, is suffering from a mental illness, it is nobody's fault. It is the parents are not guilty of that. The parents need to understand that they those things happen no matter what they could have done. And understanding that it's it's such an important step in accepting that this is happening there is nobody's fault, what can we do about it? Rather than saying, this is not happening, being in denial, shutting it down, and bringing, bringing on more and more problems that can go all the way to devastating things like we know, like suicide, for example. Yeah, because if we don't talk about these things, then this child or young person is going to feel isolated, like you said earlier, is going to feel lonely, it's going to feel not understood. It's not going to reach out for help. And the problem can compound itself to having devastated consequences. Thank you so much for being so articulate in all of your responses so far. I think that if someone were to actively listen to everything that you had to say, it would be very, 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 very beneficial to them, whether they're the child or the parent. I think that this would be a cool segue to talk about how you found your spirituality. Um, Tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey. Oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. So um, I grew up in communist Albania, and I am of a generation that grew up right at the end of it, like the last few years of, um, of the dictatorship. And I did not have much exposure to spirituality or religion except my grandma. My grandma would say Bismillah all the time. You might relate to that. Mm-hmm. Or she would, uh, she would teach me to enter a place with my right foot. And because it was, if I did enter with the left, oh my God, it's so much bad luck. And she would teach <laughs> me about evil eye 
and yes. you know yeah so all of those things that Gray must do one fun one that I remember was um if I let dishes in, um, in the sink overnight <laughs> she would say no 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 you have to do your dishes because the the devil is gonna come and dance on those dishes oh my god <laughs> that's either that's either just a twisted way of you of her making sure that the dishes are done <laughs> that's so funny yeah so there was these little things which were also uh, they were of course hidden like they you couldn't you know have a religion publicly now in communist Albania mm-hmm. and so I grew up mostly an atheist when uh, communism fell I was a teenager and as a teenager I was struggling you know with my growing up being a girl my emotions my feelings and everything and I started to explore religion uh, started with I started exploring Islam which was my culture religion let's say because nobody actually practiced it but that's what my family uh, was culturally and I know uh, so people usually have a hard time understanding that they're like oh is your family Muslim I'm like yeah but no I'm like yeah but you know we just had a bacon egg and cheese from the corner so like I can't really (laughs) say that we're Muslim (laughs) but like we came to America being Muslims but like yeah so I totally understand that part yeah uh, so I, I started, uh, I explored Islam. I went to the mosque a few times. Uh, and then um, I, and then I, I did not like that as a girl, as a woman, I did not feel represented. Something was not good there. Something was not right there. As a teenager, I understood that there was something not right for me in that religion. So I moved away from that and I explored uh the Roman Catholic Church, which is also very present in Albania. Mm-hmm. And so I, I read the Bible from all of it. Uh, same thing happened there. I couldn't find an affinity with the religion, with the teachings, with... Uh, heck, I had an issue with the uh, Adam and Eve story start, to start with. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get so, me started. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so... And so I found myself being really disappointed in religion. I don't think I explored other religions at the time. And I increasingly, as I became more aware about women's rights, about human rights, I became more aware of what a patriarchal, oppressive society Albania was. And then I started to become more and more an atheist, a secular person, a humanist person that believed in science and and a strong feminist as well as and a human rights person as well. And that was for many years. Uh, and then a few years ago, I uh, wanted to quit smoking. I have been smoking for a long time and many Albanian women were will relate to that. Smoking, unfortunately, is still a very big problem in the Albania in Albania, but as well as as well as in the Albanian community outside of Albania, I think, too, smoking still continues to be a big problem. And so I wanted to quit smoking. Uh, and I found that my meditation and mindfulness could help with that. And so I started practicing mindfulness meditation and I started looking more into the Eastern religions like Buddhism and started getting more interested in a different way of thinking that is so different from our Western worldview. And the more I delved into it, the more I discovered that there was there were these 
practices, the spiritual practices that were not necessarily religious, I still continued to have an aversion to, towards organized religion. And there were these practices that I could make use of in my everyday life. And that was amazing, like finding that I could use these teachings, I could use this practicing, pra these practices to live better, to have less anxiety, to be less stressed, to understand myself and others better, and to cultivate a sense of well-being and a sense of purpose in my whole life. So that changed my life in ways that I had never thought before. And I got involved into communities that practice secular Buddhism and that practice mindfulness meditation. And then the effects of it have been so, so amazing that I wanted to share this with others. I wanted to share my experience and I wanted to offer these tools to other people to help them live better lives and manage their their work life and love life and relationships and everything in better ways. So going a little bit more into you sharing this with others, we know that you started a podcast called Mindful Agility. We would love to hear a little bit more about what this means and what was your mission for starting the podcast. I know you mentioned that you wanted to share um, mindfulness with other people, but how did you come to find your co-host and everything else like that? My friend uh, Dan Greening and I are both part of a secular Buddhist study club uh, where we read books about Buddhism and share stuff. And so we've been there uh, supporting each other for quite some time. And um, we thought we both had this desire to share, uh, to share these tools that have had helped us so much in our personal life. Yeah, my friend Dan Greening is an agile coach and we talked about mindfulness and agility and we realized that these two practices can be combined together to help people live more live more fulfilled lives and so this is how we came up with the idea of exploring mindful agility and let me get uh, a little bit into what mindfulness is and what agility is and how they work together so mindfulness is not a very complicated thing. Mindfulness is just paying attention. It's a purposeful, non-judgmental paying attention to what is happening right now. Paying attention to your thoughts, to the sensations in your body, to your feelings and emotions, to the environment, the sounds, so it's just that mindfulness is a practice of paying attention non-judgmentally and focused. It has been shown, there is so much research, as you two probably know, and the people listening know, there has been so much research into mindfulness and its benefits in the recent decades. It has been found to help decrease uh, anxiety, reduce depression and anxiety and physical pain, improve focus and awareness. So all these benefits of mindfulness are already uh, established in the research. Agility, on the other hand, is, uh, is a practice of, uh, it's actually project management methods. They started in software development many years ago, and they focus on breaking down large projects into smaller tasks and manageable tasks. So what agility does is you, instead of having a big, big project, 
and trying to get to your finish line, to your goal, you break that into small little experiments and you revise, over, uh, you revise frequently, you go back and you adjust as you go and you deliver these products in a more efficient way. So it helps us develop more value in a shorter amount of time instead of us investing lots of resources in a project that at the end we might end up not wanting anymore or it might end up failing. So we go and we break it down into smaller experiments. So agility and mindfulness together work in a way that they complement each other. Using mindfulness, we can understand ourselves better. We can understand others better. We can make better decisions. We can be more focused, more aware. We can reduce our suffering and other people's suffering around us. Using agility, we can take action. We can put this, things in place that can help us live better lives, can help us achieve our goals, can help us be more successful. I wanted to tell you how appreciative I am of people like you. When I went through a pretty serious depression, I mean, I've dealt with depression my whole life, but when it got really, really serious, um, I wasn't aware of spirituality. I didn't, to me, it was like hippy dippy stuff. And I was like, that's not me. I started listening to podcasts, mindfulness podcasts, and I would be listening to them and I'd be like, oh my God, that's exactly how I feel. I'm feeling all of these feelings. And they would give me techniques on how to deal with it. I would listen to like guided meditations. Um, I was introduced to all of these resources. And then I started on top of that reading self-help books, which is kind of the agility aspect because it would be like, um, you know, think of everything in your life. These are your goals. How can you accomplish these goals one by one? Because I'm a person who gets very overwhelmed and um, it's just part of my personality trait. Diana can vouch for that. I had a little bit of anxiety attack before this episode. (laughs) Um, So I I, I just want to appreciate what you do. And I think that your podcast, Mindful Agility, is very beautiful and very rewarding to people who actively listen to podcasts and choose to gain something from it because it, it, it changed my life. Um, and now I, I categorize myself as a mindful person and meditation helps me in every aspect of my life. I, I notice a difference when I wake up in the morning and I just spend 10 minutes doing a meditation, listening to sound baths and how different my day goes just by doing that small little practice. And also I you know, I I don't come from a rich family. So uh, I remember at one point my family didn't even have insurance, so I couldn't even um, afford therapy. So these podcasts were a form of therapy because I would listen to the podcasts and they would provide like 10 questions to um, know your inner self, you know, and they would, they would provide these 10 questions. And then afterwards I would go to my journal and I would write down all the questions and it just made me a more conscious person about what was like going on inside and why I was feeling certain feelings. So what you do is very beautiful. I mean, in the podcast and life in general, I think you're a very (laughs) nurturing person. Um, and I, I appreciate people like you. Thank you. Yeah. I love that. I love that you, you practice and you have, um, 
because that's how I started too, right? I started the same way. I started learning about these things by uh, reading books and listening to podcasts. And then, and then I found the community, which was amazing. And uh, the agility part of it, I really love that you touched on that too, because even if you look at how you two are producing the, this podcast, right? Or how we are producing our podcast, that you are actually using agile practices to do it. You're not, you're not producing 30 episodes putting all this work you know and um working for a year or two oh i'm gonna do this i need to get that i need to get all these resources together and i need to have i need to become so good at that it it probably would not happen right if we wanted to get in place all the things that we think are going to make us succeed we probably would never start exactly because you get too overwhelmed to even start So breaking it down into smaller tasks makes it that more, I mean, less stressful, that easier to kind of overcome. So like task one, brainstorm, task two, (laughs) find a (laughs) co-host, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Exactly. And we do talk about that in our podcast. So we have explored so far a few, uh, a few topics like uh, goals, for example, how do we set goals? What's a mindful, agile, skillful way to set your goals like New Year's resolutions? We have uh, we have an episode on that or we talk about compassion, the importance of compassion and how taking into consideration our environment, the people in our lives. It's very important to ensure that we are successful in our endeavors. If we do not have a supportive environment, we do not have a supportive community, we are not going to succeed. So we we explore these things in order to help people uh, to help people live better lives and take action and actually do things to live better and also make the lives of the people around them better. And each episode also has a guided meditation from me, which is like a good which relates to the topic of that we are discussing. So it it tries to help you take some time and meditate and kind of absorb better. And investigate better the topic that we're talking about and like you said understanding okay what's going on here which is the first step in changing something if we don't understand something then we cannot change it or improve on it exactly exactly and i think that sometimes when people get so overwhelmed in life and the pressure of accomplishing goals and becoming successful that overwhelmingness and that stress in itself can cause major anxiety so I would say that's literally been me this last week like what you just mentioned yeah so I'm very glad that we're talking about this I think mindfulness is something I try to practice in college and I remember it being very beneficial and then I kind of let it go um my last year in college when COVID happened because I was just I don't even know what happened to kind of disconnect from it. But now that I think back as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking and I'm like all of the if I were to keep applying those um, practices to my day to day now and the stress that I've been dealing with with like work and everything regarding um, just life in general, I feel like I would not have had the week that I had. It's bringing me back to think that I need, I definitely need to get back into it because I remember the the many positives that it did have for me throughout college. But with that being said, 
um we talked a little bit about the benefits of it but how do you think applying spirituality learning about it mindfulness combined um do you think that applying it to your everyday life could help those struggling with mental illness illnesses it's important to understand that treating treating mental illness is complex mm-hmm. and i want to make sure that uh we emphasize the fact that it is a, a multi-modality treatment most of the times. Uh, mental illness are treated with medications very successfully, are treated with uh, therapy, mm. and, are tre- and, then mi- and then mindfulness practices can help in addition to those. And what are some of when, the parallels between practicing spirituality and improving mental health that you've seen so far with your personal journey, also the people that you work with? Uh, spirituality can be uh, whatever it means to you. Mm-hmm. So you can be a religious person, you can be of any religion, and you can practice mindfulness. That's the good thing about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. You don't have to to be a Buddhist to practice mindfulness. I'm quoting here. You you can be whatever you are and practice mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness can be an additional practice, a tool, if you if you want to use that. So mindfulness can be a useful tool that can be added to whatever spiritual practice or religious practice or lack of you already have. So that's what makes mindfulness such a versatile, such a very useful practice. And it can be done anywhere. It is one of those practices that it doesn't, you don't have to be a Buddhist monk sitting on top of a mountain to do it, wearing an orange robe. It can be done anywhere at any time. And there are so many practices out there that can fit anybody's needs. If you are someone that you can't sit still, you have a hard time sitting still, then you can do walking meditation. You can listen to sounds. You can do something different. So there are so many practices out there that can fit in everybody's personality, schedule, way of thinking, way of living. So another thing that we talked a little bit about is community. Community is very important to have, and mindfulness can help us create community. Because when we practice mindfulness and we become aware of ourselves, we become, we understand ourselves better, we understand other people better, we start seeing things from a wider perspective, we we start seeing things that as interconnected, we start seeing other people for what they are, which is people like us with the same needs, the same fears, you know, the same problems. And so it creates a sense of of connectedness. You are not the only one suffering. You are not the only one feeling lonely or having anxiety or being depressed. Other people suffer from these things. And you can see that when you, you start practicing mindfulness and start to become more observant and notice what's happening within you and then around you in the environment and with other people. For somebody who just now wants to start this journey of spirituality and mindfulness, what are some tips or suggestions you would give them on where to start out? Would it be listening to a podcast or YouTube videos or reading a certain book that really helps you? Listen to mindful agility. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, the podcasts are very good. Uh, mindful agility, and there are other podcasts out there that um, 
deal that offer meditation practices as, as well. They offer discussions about uh, mindfulness topics and you could, there are tons of books out there. I would suggest that uh, people get, start somewhere and there are tons of apps that you can download and use, but what it's important, I think that when you start with a practice, you stick with it for a little bit, see how it works. Let's say if you start listening to the Mindful Agility podcast and you listen and practice to the meditation that's at the end of it, try to do it for a few times. Or if you download an app, then try to do that for a few times and see how it works. If you are someone who already has a therapist, ask your therapist about it. Most therapists right now uh, know and they have great resources and they can help you with that with finding great meditation practices to do. So talk to your doctor, talk to your therapist about it. Uh, you can see if you can find a community. I would tr really suggest that finding a community is really important. Community can be so supportive. How can Albanian parents who do not understand mental health approach this topic with their child who may be struggling with it? Uh, first of all, I would say that Albanian parents needs to get informed if they already don't have that information about mental illnesses. I would like to invite Albanian parents to examine their own prejudices, beliefs, and opinions that they have around mental illnesses and kind of think about in what ways they are apprehensive of them, you know, to, in what ways they don't understand them. And think about the fact that the most important thing is their child's health and well-being. So I would invite them to also be mindful about the language they use at home when they talk about people with mental illnesses outside of the home the language they use when we talk when they talk about their feelings and their emotions um, they need to be supportive of their children and create an environment of openness and safety where children can feel comfortable sharing how they're feeling and what they're struggling with and if they notice or if they feel in their heart that and parents usually do that something is not quite right they need to sit down with their children have their conversations without being reactive without being judgmental making their children feel safe that they can share whatever is going on with them either it is you know mental they're struggling with feeling anxious or depressed they're struggling with their identity which is normal in you know puberty and uh, adolescence, anything that their children might be struggling with. There is no better reward for parents when their children feel so safe and so secure and they can share with them whatever is going on. And then the last thing is reach out to your pediatricians, reach out to your family uh, doctor if you have any questions, any concerns reach out to a professional that can help you navigate this if there is a suspect of if there is a mental illness going on in the family. And I would like to invite everyone to come back to the love 
the wonderful, beautiful love that Albanian parents have for their children, because that's when it, what it comes down to. It comes down to loving your children unconditionally and supporting them no matter what. And remember, if your children are suffering, if your children are struggling, that does not mean that you have failed. Your failure would be to recognize it and support them. But what has happened, what, they're struggling with something that is not your failure as a parent. Amazing. What you don't want to do is not supporting them, is ignoring, is being in denial, is shutting down your child. That's what you don't want to do. So yeah, at the end, it comes down to love, I think. Love and understanding and compassion and support. Um, now let's go into a guided meditation. I'm so excited. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, find a comfortable position, whether it's sitting or lying down for the people who are listening. It can be any position where you feel comfortable, but also alert. We will maintain an intention to be still, but you can adjust your posture at any time if you need to. You can either close your eyes or keep them slightly open, focused downward in front of you. Adjust your spine, make sure it's straight, but not rigid. If you're sitting, I want you to imagine a golden thread coming down from the top of your head, down your neck, down your spine, all the way to the bottom. If your feet are on the floor, make sure that they're touching the floor. You can keep your hands on your lap, on your knees. Again, any position that you are comfortable. And now take a deep breath through your nose. Fill your lungs with air. Relax your belly. And let the air out slowly through your nose. Let's take one more deep breath and see if you can relax your whole body with your out breath. Now allow your breath to return to normal. Bring your attention to your body. Notice your posture. How are you sitting or lying down? Where are your feet, your hands? Just notice your position.
bring your attention to your forehead. Do you feel any sensations there? If not, it's okay. Just try to relax your forehead. You can say to yourself, soften your forehead. We're gonna go through different parts of the body and do the same thing. Trying to relax them just a little bit. Bring your attention to your face. Relax your jaw, unclench your jaw. Relax your muscles of your face. Let your eyelids drop. Relax your whole head. Your neck. Your shoulders. Your arms. Let your shoulders and arms drop and be heavy. Bring your attention to your spine. See if there is any pain or discomfort. You can move a little bit, adjust your back. Relax your chest, your belly, your buttocks, your pelvic area. Notice the feeling of the seat underneath you. And let it hold you. Soften your thighs, your knees, your lower legs, your ankles, and your feet. Let your legs also feel heavy and relaxed. There is nowhere to go right now. Now bring your whole body to your attention again. Notice, how do you feel? Is there any tightness left anywhere? Any pain, discomfort? See if we can relax that. Keep our attention there for a little bit. When we meditate, we bring curiosity and openness and focus to our ob object of meditation. We notice what's happening without judgment. 
There might be thoughts, emotions, sensations, sounds in the environment. That's okay. We just notice them and let them go without getting carried away. I invite you to bring your attention to your breath. Notice where do you feel it most? Either the tip of your nose, your throat, your chest, or your belly. We don't try to change it in any way or judge it. We just notice that we're breathing. We're going to try and keep our attention there for a little bit. Just observing ourselves breathe. You're going to notice thoughts, sensations, emotions, sounds. That's okay. We just notice them. And if we remember, we come back to paying attention to the breath without judgment. You can use this coming back to the breath any time during your day. If you're feeling stressed or anxious, frustrated, or even calm, just standing in line somewhere, you can use this exercise of coming back and noticing yourself breathing for a minute. The practice of meditation is not to empty our mind, not to get rid of all thoughts, all emotions, all anxieties, uncomfortable feelings. The purpose of meditation is to notice that those things are happening and to bring our attention back to the breathing. Now bring your attention back to your body. Become aware of where you're sitting, how you're sitting or laying down. How do you feel? Now we're gonna slowly start to get out of meditation. Bring your attention to the environment, the temperature in the room. Start moving slowly, your fingers and toes. And whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes. Thank you for meditating with us today.
feel so relaxed. I Thank feel like I'm you. <laughs> is what we should be saying. <laughs> it had been a while since I had done that, but it just reminded me of how much you can release just by being present for even mm. a couple minutes. Yeah. We just want to thank you so much for bringing all your knowledge and all your experiences into Visa and Gra today, Mirela. We're very happy that you took some time out of your day to teach us more about mindfulness and teach us more about mental health and bring more awareness into our community about these issues. So thank you for being here. If you have any last things you want to touch on, we would love to hear them now. Or if you want to plug in um, your podcast where they can find mm -hmm. you, any other sort of projects that you're currently working on. Uh, yes, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being here and talking to you. And I love the mission of your podcast and I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, I would, uh, a few last remarks I want to make is that to the, all the Albanian community is that we are such a great people. We have such great values and a great rich culture of love and support to each other. So let's us all make use of those great qualities that we have and use them to support our families and our communities wherever we are in the world. Uh, the mindful uh, You can find Mindful Agility podcast in whatever platform you listen your podcast to uh, at. And also uh, you can find us at mindfulagility.com where you can either subscribe or reach out and send out an email to us if, whether you have questions or you want to learn more about mindfulness and agility and how you can use them together to live better more fulfilled lives <laughs> thank you so much once again and we hope to hear from you very very soon thank you Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Visa and Gra. It was a privilege to have Mirella on the podcast. Did you see how I tried to say her name with an accent? Mirella. Mirella. Okay. It was a <laughs> That's my mom's name. Fun fact. That's cute. Um, if you guys want to listen to the full guided meditation, it's going to be available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, I think it's a cool way to just plug your headphones in, listen to the guided meditation. Mm -hmm. um, we did it with her on the phone call and... I'm going to do it tonight again. Oh man, I'm in a whole different mood. It yeah. really, it really just made me feel peaceful. We would love to hear what you guys have to say. Per usual, you know the drill. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube with Albanian subtitles. Leave any comments on our Instagram at Vizangra. And if you have any more questions, you can email or DM us. Remember, we love you and you're never alone. Thank you guys.